Nothing Important Podcast, Episode 5, C-Note, from Two White Crew. Let's go! This is the Nothing Important Podcast, and we are here with C-Note from Two White Crew. How's it going, C-Note? What's going on, party people? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty good. You look very comfortable in Tim's uh, fluffy chair. Again, we're in the Asian Menstruation Studios in Chicago, Illinois. Yes, and they graced me with a uh, delicious 40 of King Cobra to start, <laughs> start off this Friday. So It's, it's a show gift. It's, it's, Today's it worked. Friday. It is, it is so Tim. weird that it's Friday. <laughs> Tim wouldn't know. Tim's been asleep for like the past two days. <laughs> no. He, I, came, yeah. I came in here this morning and Tim looked like he just woke up for the first time in a week. <laughs> so Last yeah. weekend was the best week of my life. Uh, I haven't recovered from our midweek weekend yet, and the weekend is already here. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready to go back to work right now. Oh. This is terrible. Last night and New Year's. New Year's Day was worse than New Year's Eve. Yeah. So right. I just had a baby. I didn't get to celebrate it. I, I spent New Year's in the... In the hospital with my wife, we had a little girl. So, oh, congratulations. Uh, dude, it's so awesome. She's like six pounds, and I'm like so scared just to walk across the house with her. Like, and I got these big ass hands, you know. So, like, all I can think of is like, like if I hold her head, like, will I crush her head? Right, right. <laughs> She's like a little baked potato. Absolutely, yeah. It's, it's scary shit. So we won't get the we won't get the podcast up in time for it tomorrow. But tomorrow night, you're at Joe's on Wheat Street in yes. Chicago, Illinois. Yep. Awesome, and you got a lot of shows coming up. You got uh, Giovanni's in Rockford on the 9th. Yes. Austin's in Libertyville on the 10th, mm-hmm. and uh, the Rivers Casino in Des Plaines on January 15th. Right on. So and then we're taking a little time off. A little time off, uh, just taking a vacation from the... Uh, there's a big trade show in Anaheim, California for the music industry, so I go to that every year, and that's toward the end of January, so I usually take time off in January. Oh, very Shut cool. it down for a couple of weeks. So. Very cool. And do you find that... Because um, uh, it, it appears that you keep a pretty heavy schedule. Do you find it's... it's yeah. Uh, I mean, does that wear on you? No. You know why? Because this is my fun time. I mean, like, I don't look at this isn't it's this isn't work for me. I know that it is. I know performing work for a lot of people, but it, for me, it's it's my playtime. This is when I get to go out and have fun. Yeah, absolutely. And if anybody has never been to a two white crew show, it's amazing. I mean, your stage show, you got so much shit going on. Uh, you got you got Fly Girls dancing. I remember I got to be part of the Totally Worthless Posse one time. Yes. Which yes. is absolutely awesome. You just sit on stage and you ignore the rest of the show while fucking chaos is happening. Yeah. And the great thing about your show is all the music is 100% live. Yes. One, 100%. Yes, there, there are no, no tracks. There is no recording. There is no tracks, no samples. No click tracks, nothing. Well, there are samples because we have to have, we, we, but we hit the samples manually. They're not they're triggered tied. They're triggered. By an yeah. artist. It's not triggered by a computer program. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, they're triggered no different than how the bass drum and the snare drum, which are all electronic sounds, right. those are triggered by the, the drummer's electronic drum kit. So. Right. But when, when you're at a two-eyed crew show, like what you hear, like that, that's all you guys. That's happening. The, the singing, right. the yeah. playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. That's amazing. How, how many yeah. people do you have in the band? There's six people in the band plus Fly Girls, and sometimes we have our horn section. Yeah, I don't think you've ever even seen our horn se- our Brass Funky's horn section. I've never seen the horn section. I haven't either. Yeah, we had them uh, last month at the, house, uh, at the House of Blues. We had a 28 piece show at the House of Blues. So we had a full breakdancing like, group. We wow. had B Boys, we had MCs, four Fly Girls, the Extremely Worthless Posse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which, by the way, they are required. I don't know how. how 
how like militant I was with you when you did it, but I always have to tell the posse, you are not to pay attention to the show. You are to drink Hennessy and play dominoes and that's it. And play yeah. cards. That's the, it. We used to, back in the day, you could smoke Philly blunts on stage when, in Illinois. Yeah. And you, could do that, but <laughs> you can't do that anymore. So now they just have to stick to playing dominoes. And well, that's what makes it so hard being part of the totally worthless posse because there's so much energy and so much shit going on. You're like, you want to look over your shoulder and you see no. all these people <laughs> no. rapping and dancing. Like, no, can't. Like, you got to look forward. No. You are the totally worthless posse. <laughs> you are the fuckers that take our booze, take our women, smoke our weed. <laughs> that's what your job is, man. <laughs> know it. Own it. <laughs> that's awesome. I remember uh, the first time I ever met you, I don't know if you remember, but you were, uh, Two White Crew was performing at a small liberal arts college in Bloomington, Illinois called Lincoln, Lincoln College. Lincoln College, yes. And I was there visiting a friend, and he's like, oh, well, you, you got to come come over, have a few drinks. Uh, this, this band called Two White Crew is having a... Uh, a show in like the parking lot, right? And right. Like on the parking yeah, lot. Yeah, we're, we're not like, like a trailer or something. <laughs> <laughs> and at the time, you know, we had a band like Trash Stand who, right. you know, our whole thing was, you know, quote unquote hillbillyhiphop.com. And I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, well, shit, I got to check these guys out. Right. And uh, I'll never forget, I get there, have a few beers, and we go over to the show and uh, see no rapping and shit just going haywire and music is playing everywhere. And I remember like you were working the crowd, high five to the crowd. I'm like, I stopped you. I'm like, dude, and I turned around because I'm that guy that wears his own band's t-shirt and on the right. back it said hillbillyhiphop.com and you were, you stopped and you were like, no way! I'm like, yeah! <laughs> yeah. And you were like kindred spirits right, right. from the it was, it, was, it was fucking awesome. And, and so, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if we exchanged whatever back then, but I think I just got a hold of you. We yeah. actually ended up playing a couple of shows together and yeah. I've been to quite a few of your shows and it's just... An absolutely, absolutely great time. Yeah. So, uh, do you even remember that? Do you yeah, remember? of course oh, yeah. I do. I remember giving you the mic too. You wrecked shop on, on our on our uh, on our stage a couple times during our show. Like I think we just rolled rolled our like OPP or something and let you come mm -hmm. up and free freestyle a little bit. Or yeah, yeah I, remember. <laughs> I remember well, man. Dude, absolutely awesome. I was bummed when you guys broke up. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, like I I, I I'm a big uh, believer. Like if you have an opportunity, take an opportunity. For me at the time, it was. I always wanted to live in Florida. Like I always wanted to be a beach bum, and then I got the, an opportunity to do it. And it was absolutely heart wrenching. You know, I mean, I know Tim wanted to kick my ass. You know, Dave. If yeah, I could have, I would have. Yeah, I just, I just cried in my pillow a bunch of times. Yeah, <laughs> but, but you know, like you got to jump with those opportunities, right? And, and I, I don't think. I would have forgave myself if I didn't. So, I mean, that sucked because I remember our last show, we had all these people. We literally lost out on making hundreds of dollars. We could have made, <laughs> yeah. We could have made dozens of dollars every night for the next month and a half. It would have been great. Our fan was so pissed. <laughs> <laughs> we could be living here together now, Flood. I know. Maybe. Bunk I know. Beds. So, with that said, I've always wanted to ask you how exactly did the 2Y crew get started? Uh, how did you put okay, that together? Okay, you know. Here's how it started. I I was in a modern rock cover band back in the 90s with all my old college buddies. And we were about, one of the jobs that I had in that band was I was the guy that had to play the music in between sets that would keep people dancing, mm -hmm. or in many cases, get them dancing to keep people, you know, to keep them there. And the, the music that I always played was old school hip hop. And so... You know, one day when we were when we were kind of breaking up because we were, we were breaking up back in like 2001, I think it was, because our or it was in 2000 because our guitarist uh, was about to form this band called Hairbangers Ball, which a lot mm. of us know. Yeah. So our, yeah, our guitarist started Hairbangers Ball with two of the other uh, founding members, 
and my lead singer was moving away. And I told my guitarist, I'm like, my guitarist buddy, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do the same thing to hip hop that you're doing with Hairbangers, mm-hmm. bringing back this era of music that we're not seeing a lot of. And at the time, nobody was doing it. There was no such thing as a hip hop cover band. I yeah, mean, like never, that just did not yeah. exist. And I didn't even know the road that I was going down was going to be as hard as it was on a lot of different fronts. But I knew that I wanted to do it live. That was the thing. I'm like, I'm not going to just go up there and karaoke this shit. It's going to be all the instruments, all the the instruments, but it has to sound real. I don't want it to sound like a, a rock band trying to play hip hop, which is typically what, like white precious stamp. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, that's what I did. So it took a while. And the first year was a bitch. It was so hard. I remember, I remember our lead vocalist at the time coming up to me, our female lead, going, are we gonna, are you just gonna hang this thing up? I'm like, fuck, no, I got way too much. I got <laughs> way too much in this. I want to do this so bad. I know it can work. We just had to, there were a lot of challenges. I, I so. bet. What was the, um, how, how did you go about finding the, the talent? You, you said that you worked with some people to do just like, source out the people that you know through Hairbangers Bond through your other projects, or did you put out auditions? Um... Yeah, no, I uh, let's see here. The I knew the singer, the female singer. I knew her, her oddly enough from a choir back in the day. She had this amazing voice. It was such a strange bunch of people that I put together too. The six, six least likely candidates to be in a hip hop band. Mm-hmm. She was an opera. She was a voice major in opera. I think okay. that's what her major was in college. Our guitarist went to Princeton. And he was like this brilliant jazz guitarist who. It, 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 you would just not think that he would be in this band. Our bass player was an was a reverend. Our drummer was a math major. <laughs> he had his he had his masters in math, and then uh, and then there was me. And I'm. It was such a weird uh, bunch of people to come together to the, who all liked this music and wanted to play it live. They believed in the project, mm-hmm. so that's how we all got together. And then all the. Fly were they, girls came were they all about it? Like, was that your pitch? Like, hey, I want to create an all-live, instrumented, old-school hip-hop band. Yeah, absolutely. And, that, and, and where, did they jump right on? Were they, were yeah. they like, oh, shit, yeah, let's, let's do this shit? Well, or, but I, any, hesi- like, did they, they hesitate? Um, no, only because I think they knew that I kind of had my shit together with doing it. Like, I mm-hmm. didn't just say, you know, maybe after six months of rehearsals, we'll, like, get a gig as a as a opening band at a little shithole down the street. And, <laughs> you know, maybe two years from now, we might be able to make some money. It wasn't like that. I I actually had approached Joe's on Weed Street. The, the owner of Joe's on Weed has a, has a, is a huge reason why our band even exists. Because he's the one who also believed in the project and gave us a home and said, you're going to play here once a month nice. if you can put this together. Wow. And I'm like, wow, that's huge. So so, so you did you present it as like a... You, you didn't present it as just, hey... We're a band one to do this. Like we're we're a full full package. We're we're yeah. a full we are a fucking we're show. An entertainment production. That's right, right. Yeah, we are and a production. He, and he believed in me, he knew me, you know, mm-hmm. and he knew because our band, our former band had been playing there and we had known each other a long time. So he he said, Yeah, let's let's do this. And um, so I put it together and I got the Fly Girls because uh, I wanted to bring back that spirit of old school hip hop. Like, mm-hmm. you know, in Living Color night in the early nineties, right. you know? <laughs> It's so funny because now here we are 12 years later and these kids don't even know what the fuck in living color is. Right, right. <laughs> They've never heard of the show. Right. 
God. But that music is timeless, and they just it's always relatable. It seems well, and there was there was a lot different spirit to hip hop back then yeah. too. Totally. You know, it was like so much more all inclusive and, and way less misogynistic. And, and it, it, it was it, cool. Yeah, and like now it's like oh, I'm so hardcore and rich, and I'm a thug. And you listen right. to a lot of you know old just, school old school hip hop, and some of it's absolutely just asinine and like goes on forever and it's just all about the party and having fun it's yeah, nice. right, yeah. it's, party, it's a lot man. more it's a lot more lighthearted. i mean there was there was like you know like a couple of people put, making political statements back in the day like public enemy you know they oh, were course, very yeah. political political band but once it became like the gangster rap stuff it, it lost a lot of, of, of the fun yeah i think yeah i mean it's, you know you had the, the humpty and baby got back and just right. a friend and these songs that were just ridiculous and funny and great bust and, a move Bust a move, yeah. all that shit. It was it was a blast. Salt the Pepper's uh, making a comeback. Did you see that? Salt and Pepper, yeah. yeah we saw them at Joe's actually. <laughs> They're in a Geico commercial. Geico commercial. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, that song is getting so much play. Uh, Maybe that's, that that's how you know, like you did good. Right. I, I remember uh, listening to an interview with Sir Mix a lot, and somebody asked him like, "Don't you ever get tired of playing that fucking song?" He's like, "No." That song's made me a lot of money. It's like, I will sing that song until it stops making me money. And I won't get tired of it until it stops making me money. Right, right. It's funny you bring up uh, uh, Public Enemy because one of the first songs that we did was Fight the Power. And it was actually one of the first songs we cut. And which sucks because it's such an awesome song, mm -hmm. but it's so heavy right. that it doesn't fit the party spirit of what we're doing. Right. Plus, it's really tough for me as a white dude to be singing you know, lines like Elvis was a hero to most, but he never meant shit to me. So right. you know, I was like, oh man, I don't feel well, good. I can say that as a white guy person. <laughs> <laughs> it was tough. So, the, you know, there's definitely, you know, there are cultural lines that I've, I've always been respectful of. And I, I and you know, that was one of them. It was just, it was just a song. I just didn't. Well, I, I think maybe that's, that, that might attribute to a lot of your success because if you, you have, you know, like a line you, you won't cross. Cause if, you made the conscious decision to cut that song, but you know, it could come off as people like, well, you're just going through the motions and that's why you're, you know, saying like the Elvis line, you know, yeah. that you can't really relate to, but you're, you're doing the old school hip hop that like anyone can relate to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There, and there are, there, there are a few things that we do. There are other songs that we cut almost for the same reason. I remember we were doing everything's going to be all right by naughty by nature, which I love that song. And just, again, there are just lines in there that are a little tough to swallow. Um, coming from me, mm -hmm. but um, and, and there are probably a couple songs that I still do where there are lines that are like, oh, I just don't feel it so much. But the rest of the song is so good and it fits our show so well, and I don't think I'm crossing any lines. So I'm so I have a I'm able to do a, I still do maybe a, a few songs that where the lyrics are a little tough for me. But um, yeah, I uh, the songs have the song selection is all about the party. You know mm -hmm. that's. Right. Mm -hmm. Right, because that's what you, that's what you came there to do, <laughs> right? Like, like uh, we, we talked about you being a full production. Like, you're there to like move asses and you know right. sell drinks and make sure people have a have a great evening, right? Yeah, like, well, and take them back to a happy place because that's really what it's all about. Too, right. is taking people back to these, you know, these songs that they don't get to hear other bands play either. That's the no. thing. I make a joke at a lot of shows that you know if you came here to hear Jesse's Girl, you got the wrong band, right? Because that, <laughs> that I mean seriously, that every band plays Jesse's Girl and right. shit like that. So. So what was your first, what was your first show like? So you go to Joe's, uh, you go to Joe's on Wheat Street, and you're like, hey, this is this is my vision, right? right. This is my my vision. I'm gonna put this all together, and we're gonna we're gonna rock your bar off the foundations. Right. How? What was your first show like? I, Did you walk in there with confidence, like, hey, I can do this shit, or was there a little hesitance, like, man, I don't know how this is gonna go. We're gonna give it our best shot. What was it like the first time 
that C-Note played at Joe's on Wee Street as two white girls? Really? That's a great question because I remember it all too well. There were two big problems that we had. One is that the characters weren't developed. And I didn't even realize that it was going to need to become that and need to be that. Mm -hmm. But it really, there wasn't a C-Note. There was just a guy who could rap in time and rap well. I mean, that I can rap well. So, but that doesn't sell the show. That doesn't sell what's coming out of my mouth. Right. It was amazing. I, I realized, and it took a long time, it probably took me almost a, that whole first year to figure out who the hell C-Note even was. Like, it just reciting these lyrics mm. as emphatically as I can isn't enough and right. wasn't enough. So, Same with the other people in the band. There wasn't a show yet. The Fly Girls, they did great. They put on their show. They did the choreography. They stuck the landing. But I think all of us were like, there's more. We got a lot more to do here. Yeah. And then the other problem was that technically we were in some major uncharted waters. There was no one on earth that I could turn to to say, how do I make this shit that we're trying to do live sound like a studio produced album? Because that's what, that's what the goal was. Right. We don't keep this in mind too. Like this will appeal to the to the tech heads in the crowd who's out there listening to cyberspace. But um, we don't have any stage volume. We use electronic drums. We use two two keyboard rigs, mm -hmm. bass and guitar. So the only sounds that are coming off the stage are bass and guitar. That's it. And the bass was running direct, so there was no amp. The guitar was running direct. There's no volume. We're a band. <laughs> right. So so. What the hell do you do when you have six open microphones on stage and you've got all this noise coming from the, from the front of the house and you got, you got feedback issues? And we had feedback out the ass and we couldn't figure out where it was coming from. We were using this digital mixing console in 2002 that nobody on earth had anything, they knew, nobody knew anything about. I was, it was called a Tascam DM32, uh, the first real digital mixing console. And I'm, now it's almost standard for clubs to have these things mm -hmm. 13 years later but back yeah. in the day no one was mixing front of house with a digital console and i'm trying to do shit that nobody on earth had done including tascam i'm i'm talking to the people who designed the product for tascam trying to tell them what i'm doing with it and they're like oh yeah we don't, uh, we don't know how to help you buddy so if they can't even help me who's gonna help me all right so we had feedback the whole first year we didn't have sound checks we had sound check days like our sound check at joe's was all day, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> trying to tweak feedback and it's just a mess. So we quickly realized that playing once a month at Joe's wasn't going to be enough to make this band happen. So do you feel during that first year you were more of a cover band as opposed to a tribute band? We were a, we were a band that had a lot of potential, but we had a lot of shit to work through. We just had to figure stuff out. And Ed even said after about five or six months, he goes, hey, I, I believe in this project. You just need to play more. So go out, play more, come back in a little bit, like after you get this taken care of. So these issues taken care of. We needed frequency. Playing once a month didn't help us. Right, right. So, so that's when we started playing Daddios in Bloomington and playing Cruisins in Peoria. And how, how receptive do you think outside venues were to Two White Crew when you're, you know, your home is Joe's on Weed Street? right. That's where you're playing one thing. <clears throat> you make the decision, hey, we got to get out. We got to play out. We got to right. kind of, 
you know, cut our chops a little bit or cut our teeth, whatever expression you want to use there. <laughs> I'm not smart, Dave. <laughs> but um, how, how did you approach venues outside of Joe's on Weed Street? Um, there was a big, there was a demand for it, but the club owners sure as shit didn't know it because all they heard was, wait, hip hop? No, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, I mean, like that at that time, there was nobody bar owners are scared of hip hop that's just all there is to it they don't want it mm-hmm. and and I, here i am trying to say no 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 hang on this is i'm not going to there's not going to be you know gun there's not going to be drive by shootings here guys right. let's get real with it this is a this is a tribute band to the party era of you know the golden era of hip hop the fun stuff that people are going to it's going to resonate you know they how do you say trust me the, you know these right. club owners don't know me they don't right. know <laughs> right. you know but at the same time you know a couple of them were, t- were willing to take a take a gamble on it like daddy o's butch over there and and uh cruisins down in peoria and they started to realize that this is a it was the most popular genre of music in this country mm. you know for a long time so we um it's it started working so that's good. So you just kind of, you were, you were persistent, right, after, after that first year. When, um, how how many people were you, did you have at that time on, on stage, like after that first year? It was always kind of the same. Six musicians plus two or four fly girls, depending on the size of the stage. And then, and then that just kind of grew from there? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. now, now it's quite a bit more, but um, yeah. How many original members are, are still in the band? Our drummer is still with us all all 12 years that's and woodsy, uh, woodsy fresh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and dj shorty has been with us almost since the beginning but she for the first year she was a fly girl mm-hmm. and then she became dj shorty when the original girl ended up leaving she was um she was awesome she was such a great girl and a fantastic musician played the violin she was a great performer everything um she just, I think this project was moving too slow for her, and she ended up going back to what she was I, doing. On a side note, she just started her own uh, clothing company, didn't she? She started Shorty did, yeah. yeah. Called aflygirl.com. It's awesome, too. <laughs> it's a, She's really about empowerment, and she's a strong, awesome human being. And yeah. uh, so she started her own clothing company, and it's really, uh, it's doing well. Doing That's really good. Well. That's good. See, look at that. Free plug, Dave. See? <laughs> <laughs> so you got to do it, man. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. So the stage uh, show evolves, and as as it's, you've been doing it for twelve years now, yeah. lots of songs have come and gone in those twelve years. Yeah. What What is the process to where you hear a song and you say, "Hey, like we can do this"? Because there's one distinct uh, memory I have. We were in uh, we were with you in uh, Bloomington, Illinois, at Daddy-O's. Right. And that was uh, the the uh, Kanye West song, Gold Digger. Right. Song came up, and it always stuck with me because for some reason, like a contingent of idiots in the crowd started chanting that. And Woozy, as a joke, played like that. And like people started cheering. And I just remember you being like, you like, shut that shit down. You're like, no, that's not happening. No. And I remember that. And I always thought that was that was kind of funny. I'm like, man, like, so you don't just like put that shit to a stop. And so, but like now that song is. Yeah. Shit, like six years old. It's got to be six years oh, yeah. old. How? I, I'm assuming you keep adding songs, right? We do. And when we started in 2002, my my rule was that I kind of wanted it to be 10 years old or older. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we were, you know, at the beginning. Then we were playing late 80s, early 90s hip hop. And then, so you know, shit, we're in 2014. So that means that like Missy Elliott's old school now. Nelly's right. old school. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> I gotta start covering Nelly and and uh, 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 you know uh. and DMX and. 
no, bitch, get out so. the way. <laughs> I mean, even in the club was like 2003 or so. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, nah, 50 cent I got to cover. But um, it, it is a lot harder to cover the newer stuff because back in the day, they mostly stole, like, you know, the early hip hop was done um, using synthetic synthesized sounds that are that were easy to reproduce mm -hmm. and as time moved on and you get into the 2000s sounds started getting way more unique and weren't part of what they call the general midi sound set it's right. uh, so you know that the sounds are really a lot more new uh a lot more unique than they were back in the day but some of the songs like rum shaker that was the one that really <laughs> So you know, I'm I'm so neurotic about making sure that the sounds sound good. Mm -hmm. if, remember, you guys know Rum Shaker, right? Re yeah. Rex and effects. So if there's this sound in that song that that sounds like it's a car that won't turn over, okay. and 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 it's a it's a sample that goes on every me every measure, and it, you listen to it, it's like, oh, that's a car that can't turn over. Why the fuck they're using it a song like every measure? <laughs> I have no idea, but I need that sound. So I went on SoundDogs.com and I'm like I'm like looking up. Uh, car sounds that won't start. And there's like a thousand of them. <laughs> I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. So I went through meticulously. It took me like all day to go through every one of these sounds and ABM against the original. And oh, I couldn't find the right sample. And I wasn't just gonna use any sample. So I'm like, well, what? I can't figure it out. So I ended up taking my little MP3 player at the time over to Molitos on Fullerton, the gas station, because they got like a, an auto, <clears throat> they got mechanics there. I put on these headphones. Too. What? What is this sound? <laughs> They're like, "What car is this?" Because we went through every menu, every make and model of cars, and they said, "That's not a car. That's a diesel truck." I'm like, "Oh!" <laughs> so I went back to Sound Dogs, and they got like a hundred different diesel truck samples of that won't start over. <laughs> so I finally found the sample, and it's like that's the kind of shit that I was going through to make sure that I, you know, the sounds are legit. So some songs are way harder than others. Mm -hmm. That like we still can't tackle California Love which is a song we really should have been doing the whole time yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. because that vocoder is really tough to do live and mm -hmm. I don't have, it, it, it's challenging. And uh, Motown Philly, we still want to get to, uh, but that's, there's like 12 people singing in that. And, <laughs> uh, we only have six. So right. <laughs> I don't know, you know, it, it's tough figuring out. That's, some um, of those songs. that attention to detail that really sets it apart though. And that's why. Yeah. I don't want to do it. If it's gonna doing it. Yeah. Cause it, the crowd reacts to, to that just authenticity of it. Right, yeah, it's the absolutely. little things, because otherwise the, the crowd might be hearing, like, okay, I, I can kind of... Otherwise you got I, me, and I'm that jackass going, where's that sample at? <laughs> <laughs> right? And you're the guy that I actually want to appease, too. Yeah, you're the guy that I'm, yeah. like, trying to make sure I get some respect from. Right, yeah, so that, that's the difference between the crowd going, like, okay, I recognize this song, to, like, the holy shit moment, we're like, oh, that's it! Like, like right. yeah. and uh, do you get a lot of, do you, I, I know... Um, once again, it's it's all completely it's it's live. There's yeah, no no. We've never do, rolled. Do you track. still uh, now twelve years later still ha uh, people contend that that's not true? Do you, oh, yeah. I get people asking me all the time if I'm lip syncing or if there's you know, or they accuse us of having tracks. Absolutely, it's and and that's the best compliment I guess yes. that we could have. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm no, I'm thrilled when people say it. Kind of, I get a little pissy because it's you know I know that they're not alone in thinking that. People walk out all the time going, yeah, if they were live. Right. It's like motherfucker, <laughs> did you read the website? And then but <laughs> at the same note, you're like, wow, like I'm doing it so much justice that they're they're actually questioning whether or not this is authentic. Yeah, right. yeah. So yeah, on one level I'm cool with the other level I'm pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Let's 
Let's uh, let's talk about your stage show. We we talk about the the totally worthless posse, which yes. is, which is still absolutely hilarious, and yeah. the fly girls and such. Um, but you also have a lot of other fun things like uh, the booty shake championships. Of course, booty shake contest. Uh, yeah, which I'm a little salty that some little. 20 year old chick comes around and calls it twerking and now suddenly everybody loses sight of what it's actually called <laughs> <laughs> it's not twerking it's booty shaking damn it um yeah so we do those at every show in between sets gotcha. um and um you know we just get line up a whole bunch of girls and you sometimes it's better than others you know occasionally we'll get five girls who none of them can shake their ass and i'm like mm -hmm. wow right. this is like, oh. not going well <laughs> But yes, uh, some of them are great, and then we always give out a little got back wife beater, little you know, little tank top yeah. for the winner. Right and then on. we have the champ, the world championship. So there's actually a title belt, and once a year, every <laughs> December. Did you not know this? No, I knew that. I was just, I was just like enthralled by it. I'm yeah, like, no, no, no. <laughs> we, no, it's an actual weight. We got the belt made. It's a title belt. We've had it for seven years now, and the winner goes home with it and gets it for a year, retains her title, and then next year she has to come back and defend it. Really? Yeah, defender. Have you ever had any issues with anybody trying to keep the belt? Or um, yeah, we had one issue where it, it like got lost or something. Oh. So we have a second. Yeah, we so we <laughs> had a replacement belt. You have the backup belt. Yeah, and yeah, but uh, we do it in Peoria now because Peoria, for whatever reason, breeds booty shake champions. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what they're eating or drinking or doing, but yeah. Uh, so Peoria is the Peoria is the spot for the Booty Shake Championship. Do you pretty much only play at Cruisins in Peoria? Uh, yeah, but we do the Riverfront once or twice a summer, too. And um, Big D, who's a, a radio personality, he started in Bloomington, went to Peoria, and now he's in Lansing. Hmm. He's amazing. He's such an incredible MC. He's a big reason why we blew up in central Illinois. And uh, he comes back every time we perform there to, uh, to yeah. MC our contests and MC the shows. That's awesome. Don Black is his name, but I, he goes by Big D, I think, even in Lansing. I was asked by a, a couple fans um, to ask you if there's any particularly uh, particular booty shake moments that you want to tell stories about, and uh, what is your favorite kind of booty? <laughs> <laughs> we, um, we, all the Fly Girls used to have pants that were, before we got hooked up with Adidas, um, they had these these pants that were susceptible to splitting. Oh. So we used to have a, a Fly Girl split, uh, pants splitting scorecard. <laughs> and I would give them 20 bucks. They would win $20 if they split their pants on stage. <laughs> and I think one of, I can't remember, I think Jackpot at the time had split her pants seven times. So she got, she won. By the time we moved into Adidas, I think she was the reigning champion of splitting her pants. <laughs> and uh, we we have had quite a few split pants on stage uh, during the awesome. booty shake contest. Sometimes it's it's a, a good sight. Sometimes it's not a good sight. <laughs> <laughs> Broadstop had one that was not a good sight. The bro <laughs> yeah, the Broadstop and Kenosha. Could imagine. Ooh, that was not pretty. Too many cheese curds. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, yeah, booty. I'm not a. That's funny though, because everybody in the band's got all different booty preferences. So. Oh yeah, it's. I'm it's, not a giant booty. Not a little booty. It's just, just a nice booty. Mama yeah. bear booty. Yeah. <laughs> you know it when you see it, kind yeah. of booty. Yeah. Gotcha. So you, um, so two by crew is is uh, 
Real quick, you, you touch on Adidas. Does Adidas uh, send you pants, or is that just I, kind of become? They a, don't you know, fully sponsor us, but they do give us mad discounts on all of our stuff. Very cool. Yeah, Colt Forty Five sponsors us though, so I really shouldn't be giving props to King Cobra here. No, oh, gosh. Well, if I would have known, yeah, actually, you know what? That's a funny thing. My wife was laughing at me because I was like excited. I'm like, all right, we have C Note coming on the show. I'm pumped. You know what? What better? 40-ounce beer is there than Old English? And you know how fucking hard it is to find a 40 of Old English in this It's thing? really hard. Right? It's yeah. ridiculous. People are, like, so, sorry, King Cobra's the constellation. I know, that's it. There are many, yeah, there are many 40s. When uh, you come, when the next time you come back on the show, I'll, I'll make up for it. And I'll have, it. have Colt for me. <laughs> we'll have the orange juice you can add to it, too. Uh, <laughs> is that a thing? That's horrible. <laughs> so, you're, you're um, obviously a, uh, a success, uh, great following. Um, and you've met folks who sing the songs that you cover. Yeah, we've opened for a lot of them. You've opened for a lot yeah, of them. Yeah, a lot um, of them. And some of them have given you gifts, like I, uh, Flavor Flav. He... Uh, no, actually, Humpty gave me, he gave oh. me like the most, my prized possession here, which was, um, well, we opened for Digital Underground mm -hmm. at U of I, like, I don't know, eight years ago or so. And at the time... I had heard, because Money B was walking in the, our green rooms were next to each other, and I heard Money B or someone say that he forgot his suitcase of Humpty gear at the Cleveland airport. He lost it or something. So he was about to go on stage, and he didn't have his Humpty gear. And so I told him, I'm like, you know, I got I got the Humpty gear. And, <laughs> and so Shock G comes over, he goes, wait a minute, you, you, you have a jacket and nose and glasses and hat? I'm like, yeah, I covered this song. He goes, you gotta be kidding me. So anyway, and like... And, and he came over with a blunt that I think was rolled with like a, a sheet of notebook paper. I couldn't <laughs> believe how giant these, these <laughs> joints were. But anyway, they um, so I can't remember what he borrowed of mine. But in any case, a few months later, I get a package in the mail from a Greg Jacobs in Oakland, Oakland, California. I'm like, I don't know a Greg Jacobs. I didn't realize it was his real name. And, he, mm -hmm. and I opened it up and it was a signed jacket. And it was a custom painted nose and glasses. He's an artist. He's a really talented artist. Huh. Mm -hmm. um, besides being a fantastic musician, he's he's a he's an artist, and he he painted um, like a you know like instead of Louis Vuitton, it was an H H. So mm -hmm. it was like H H's all over the nose, yeah, on the nose, and and I still have that. So at every show, I actually wear the glasses that he gave me and signed, and it has my name, and I said to C note. I think so it was really cool. Um, and that, so, yeah, that is, uh, the, but wait, the jacket got stolen at Daddy's in Bloomington. Ah, oh, boo. Some <laughs> fucker stole my I jacket. I hate Daddy's so much. I know. I'm so hesitant to having these glasses on stage, but I, I, I watch them, so make sure that they go home with me. Um, so, uh, Flavor Flavor, though, I gave him one of my clocks. Mm -hmm. And I met him at a show, him and Chuck D and a whole, a whole bunch of guys and Slick Rick and Big Daddy Kane, a whole bunch of them, uh, too short, I think, was there, and I gave him one of my clocks, and I in Flavor Flavor, he looked at me, he goes, "You made this for me. You <laughs> made this for me." It was so great, and he ended up wearing it in a video with that he was doing with Fat Joe. I remember seeing it in a video. Um, so anyway, yeah, that was one of the dudes I'd met. Awesome, and, and uh, they're they're pretty receptive to what you're doing. I you know I don't I don't know. Uh, well, the guys that we've opened for that have actually seen us are, mm -hmm. but. I don't know that the other guys even know, you know, I I think they are, you know, I don't know. I, I haven't, I didn't get a chance to tell everybody. KRS-One, though, I had met, he know, uh, KRS-One, 
he wanted my clock to use as the hip hop awards. What is the hip hop annual hip hop awards? He was a big part of it, I guess, like getting the it BET off the ground. Awards? Yeah, he was. He oh. was one of the ones that was originally really wanted. Like the first year they were having it, they wanted to have the award be my clock. Really? The clock that I would, because I was making these clocks, I was buying them from Target, ripping right. them apart, putting the Public Enemy logo in it. And <laughs> I, seriously, I, 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 that's where I got this clock from. Um, so I had communicated with him a little bit, but I think it was just too difficult to get him 40 clocks in the time that he wanted them or something. So That's funny that you used to make those, because part, part of the joke of our uh, station with White Trash Stand is I used to wear the clock, and when Dave and I started, it was... By that time, that era of hip hop had, you know, kind of faded out. But people knew who Flavor Flav was. Uh, but it was before the show. It was before his show, where he mm. came back on. So I'd wear the clock, and every once in a while, I'd be like, "Oh, Flavor Flav clock. That's that's pretty funny." Ha ha ha. Right. But then the the show came along, and then people were like, "Oh, you're wearing that because of Flavor Flav." But it wasn't like, "Well, I'm I'm wearing it because it's kind of an homage to something that's kind of humorous." Like now, I was taken after the guy, you know. So, right. but if your clock was going to be used. As a uh, uh, the award for BET, maybe I was just subconsciously following you. <laughs> <laughs> Although, in your defense, it was just a small plastic clock with a chain on it. it was, oh yeah, it, 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 was, no preparation. it was like this yeah, chain yeah. I found at the back of my truck one day. Like, like, stop like, it! Stop it! You know the dollar yeah, we, store. Like the show. In, yeah, we'd be like driving to Indiana. I'd be like, oh, there's a family dollar. I need a wall clock. <laughs> <laughs> It was it was purposefully crappy. It was purposely purposely crappy. Uh, that's great. And you, by the way, I I I jocked something from you guys back in the day that I still use to this day, and it's your line, "Rock out with your clock out." That, uh, who, <laughs> who came up with that? That's who came up with that? Uh, it was you. Yeah, was I'll guy. take credit for it. It might yeah. have been him though. I, been yeah, I still use that to this day, guys. <laughs> I, it, I, I haven't. That's the only thing that I can I can say that I've taken from another band oh, is, is rock out with your clock out. Well, I'm I'm more than honored. And yeah, so yeah. That's, awesome. that <laughs> that's so high praise. Thank you. So uh, one of the things I've always wanted to ask you about is the Playboy Mansion. Yes. You played the Playboy Mansion. Yes. And you were like the last band within like the last ten years who has been invited yeah. to play the Playboy Mansion. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. How how did that get set up? What was it like? With what size crew did you bring? How how did that all come to be? They. Uh, we were doing a Halloween party here in Chicago and somebody came up to me, some guy came up to me at the end of the night, which is really funny because at the end of the night, everybody's a booking agent. Mm -hmm. Everybody's <laughs> drunk off their ass and has this amazing offer right. to play and it never Dude, pans out. Dude, I 300 bucks to play at my uncle's right. bar, right? <laughs> Dude, I got this backyard and we do this party every year. You should see my deck. It overlooks a small lake. <laughs> um... So, no, this guy said, what are you doing in two weeks? And I said, oh, we're playing. We, you know, we have a show. I, I, I said, we, we have a show in, um, you know, I don't remember where it was. And he said, well, um, I, I want you to play in Vegas. And I'm like, for what? They said, this for Playboy. This is, We're opening the Palms. This is when they were opening the, the, mm -hmm. the Palms wing of, um, the Playboy wing of Palms. Okay. And I, you know, I'm like, oh, gosh, who, who's who's yanking my chain now? Mm -hmm. And he hands me a card and it says Vice President Playboy on it. I'm like, uh, you're serious? He said, no, 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 I'm serious. Can you come and play in Vegas in two weeks? And I'm like, I will try, I will make this happen. <laughs> right. And so as it turns out, 
it was a little too late to make that happen. But the guy said, we actually want you at the Playboy Mansion instead. I'm like, well, all right. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to twist my arm. Like, don't threaten me with a good time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I... I guess. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, mean, I plan on doing laundry and some dishes. Day, but <laughs> I guess Home Depot will have to fucking wait. That's right. <laughs> so we, so he, and he was legit. He, he bought us out of the gig that we had because we had to like, we couldn't just cancel on the bar in two right. weeks. We, so he bought us out of that, paid for everything, paid, paid for us to be there for two nights, which gave us a chance to play West Hollywood, which we hadn't played before. Mm-hmm. So we got it, and which was amazing too because that night, I think that was the night that we played where... Daryl McDaniels from Run DMC was in our crowd. Mm-hmm. We looked, I'm like, oh, I'm, oh, I'm covering right. Run DMC and, and D of Run DMC is in our crowd tonight. This is nuts. Awesome. Um, but so we played the so we played the Playboy Mansion. We got to go there and hang out, have dinner, and dick around in the swimming pool in the grotto and uh. see the animal. We, we were playing video games in his arcade. You know, like, <laughs> I just, it was so surreal. So yeah, it was amazing. They, and then when we got done, they said we were their favorite band ever and that they don't oh. have bands very often they have djs and a lot mm-hmm. of it has to do with volume control and everything else but mm-hmm. they um they said we were the executive said we were their favorite band so that we've had one or two other offers to play there since then but for whatever reason we've not been able to make it happen <laughs> <laughs> they tend to do things last minute yeah, yeah. well you know I, I imagine that's that's probably one of the like difficulties you know, being as successful as you are with two white crew, you know, is is balancing life and two white crew. Yeah. And you know, uh, making making everything everything work. So, but that's great because you you've gained all these wonderful experiences that you know slubs like us, you know, could, <laughs> could, always, could always dream of. Because for us, when we had our, our band going, and anytime you would you would say, uh, "Yo, Brian, do you want to play?" On our stage, you want to open for us? We're like, oh fuck yeah! Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, like that's that's that, that like yeah. We're gonna play for a crowd. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they won't know what hit them. <laughs> um, I loved having you guys, man. But it, that's that's just awesome. So what what would you say um, is the most popular song? What what song do you play that that gets the biggest reaction? Um. Well, that's well, changed over let's the years. Take, let's take Matt's on it real quick. Dave, what, what would you think is the the biggest song that they, they play to get the biggest reaction? I'm willing to bet that around when we first met when we were in college, mm-hmm. it was probably like Ice Ice Baby. That's what I was going to yeah. call it. Ice Ice that's Baby. our generation seems to be our song. I'd say for people around closer to our age would be the Humpty Humpty. Humpty right, dance. So two, two ice ice baby and a, and a humpty dance. Funny, wow, that's interesting because um, when we do college, we were playing the SEC schools for a few years. Mm-hmm. We were playing like universe fraternities at Alabama and LSU. Yeah. They got shit tons of money. They, they mm-hmm. you know, so they can fly bands in. Right. And one of the things we learned real quick was that they have no idea what the Humpty Dance is. What? That song, really? That song is off the radar wow. of anyone under like 23. Oh, that's yeah. a shame, dude. That totally. sucks so That bad. one is the same with I Wish. Skilo, that oh. just didn't, that didn't oh, trend. I oh, man. Believe me, I'm like, this is insane. We can't, they don't know these songs. See, They've that's why the world it. needs two white crew is to educate these young yeah. fucks right. about. Man, that, I'm actually enraged now. I'm going to have to have I'm, that. It I'm going to have like away. a fifth beer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't believe it. That's so, nuts. Yeah, we had to change. And then songs like Montel Jordan, This Is How We Do It, they they knew word for word. So we had to like redo our set list whenever we're playing in the Deep South. 
Um, but even mm. even up here, they don't know. We don't play Humpty Dance anymore at Cruisins. Not that much. We'll do it occasionally. Wow. But wow. yeah, some songs just didn't go, you know, follow to the next generation. Um, uh, so one of the things that we've had to, that we learned early on and that we've had to keep doing is DJ culture has changed people's attention span. Like we don't, we used to do the beginning of the song to the end of the song, every song to the letter, mm-hmm. the intros, endings, everything. And we quickly realized that people don't want to hear four more, four verses of Bust a Move or three verses of OPP or right. three verses of Hip Hop Array. I mean, it's like whatever, it, we have to shorten it down and do and do mixes and do medleys like DJs do. And so one of the medleys we put together more recently is one that starts with Nelly. It, it goes, it starts with um, Hot in Here. It goes into Country Grammar. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it goes into Up in Here, uh, DMX. Mm. And that's right now like the hypest moment of the show. Like for, you know, for whatever reason, it's a real energetic medley. So that's the one that like people get most jacked for. Mm. But like it used to be for Poison, uh, Belbeth DeVoe was always good. We would open with it all the time. Um, Ice Ice Baby was was a big one. See, the, the thing about Ice Ice Baby, I always thought that'd be the huge one because everybody's like, oh, I, I don't like Vanilla Ice. Screw that. <laughs> but all you got to do is like the first like few notes of it and everybody's like, yeah, this is my shit. Yeah, oh, yeah, <laughs> right. it's, like, oh man, yeah, no. Yeah, he's going to say, let's kick it. And it's like, Yo, VIP, let's kick it, yeah. and tables start fucking getting overturned. <laughs> and, and shit, like, it's like the greatest thing ever. And then, like, after it ends, people are like, ah, I didn't dance to that shit. <laughs> Everybody's competing about who can, like, finish the lyrics right. and who knows right. the lyrics. It's like the French Prince of Bel-Air theme song. All you gotta do yeah. is just start it, and right. then, like, 50 people will finish it, and then be like, nah, they mean, that song's yeah. corny. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh... It'll guilty it, pleasures, man. People know, they still know the lyrics of that, for sure, Fresh Prince. That's a, that's a I didn't know there was a third verse until, like, last year. <laughs> I think you guys might have like somehow enlightened me to that. I think you might have done the whole song live or something. You ever done the whole entire? I think we did, and then we cut friends? it. We had to do the, the TV edit. Yeah, it's I was just, just like, like everything else. We just had to chop it down. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's fucking amazing. Um, so you know, I know you're rushed for time. Thank no. you so much for coming on on our show. We really appreciate it. We yes, hope to have you, you back. Uh, I plan on coming to see you tomorrow. At uh, Joe's on Weed Street in Chicago. Maybe I'll get on stage. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see how <laughs> how it goes. Um, we'll make sure to post your tour dates on our website. And thank you for stopping by. Thank you. Thank man. you it was a good time. It's great to it. hang with y'all again, man. All right, that concludes the Nothing Important podcast. Big thanks to C Note from Two White Crew. If you're listening, you can find us on iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, and just about anywhere that hosts podcasts. www.nothingimportantpodcast.com. You can also find, find us at Nothing Important Podcast on Twitter and Facebook. Dave, you can stop recording now. <laughs> <laughs>